0: Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Well, good evening, guys. Welcome to RUF. Thank you, thank you. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Christian, um, and if you don't know me it would make sense because I'm not normally the one up here. Normally Chase is the one who speaks on Tuesday nights, but he gave me the opportunity to speak tonight, and I'm really excited to look at this passage with you guys. Um, yeah, so so this semester we've been talking about how Jesus dwelt among us, how Jesus is always moving towards us, um, and in week one we looked at how the party dwelt among us with Jesus turning water into wine. And then last week we saw how the protest dwelt among us. And this week we're going to look at how the prophet dwelt among us. Um, Jesus is the greater prophet. And he's the greater prophet because he doesn't just tell us what to do. You know, I could sit up here and stand up here and tell you what to do, but Jesus doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us, he gives us what we need. And this story of Jesus and this woman is a great example of Jesus, our greater prophet, moving towards us and giving us what we need. So here's what we find in this passage, and these are the things that I want to kind of narrow in on or focus in on today, and that's that Jesus seeks us, Jesus sees us, and Jesus satisfies us. So Jesus seeks us, he sees us, and he satisfies us. So before I get into my first point, I think in order to better understand um, this passage, it's helpful to understand a little bit of a context um, around what's going on here. And if you look at the end of verse 9, in the little parentheses at the end of the sentence, it says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, so what exactly does this mean? So this isn't like, you know, seniors and freshmen where freshmen where you don't really like Interact. You don't have classes together, so there's no dealings. It's it's not like you just don't happen to be around each other. This is is much deeper. This is more like Kanye fans and Drake fans. (laughs) When the new albums just dropped lately, you know Kanye fans are trashing on Certified Lover Boy. Drake fans are trashing on Donda. Everyone's trying to argue which album's better, right? Which, by the way, Kanye's album better. Kanye's album's better. Donda, you can you can argue with me later tonight. That's right. But you get the picture, you know, there's, there's no middle ground. there's, there's disagreement, and there's no, um, there's no middle ground here. And this is the case for the Jews and the Samaritans, except for it's much, it's much, much more serious. Um, this is deep-rooted racial and religious prejudice. Um, see, the Jewish people thought that the Samaritans were, were worse than pagans because they had taken the Jewish religion and they, they twisted it. So Jews hated Samaritans. Uh-huh. And so in the story, we have Jesus, a Jewish man, and this Samaritan woman. Uh, And what Jesus does is really amazing. We see Jesus moving towards this woman in a really unexpected way. So this kind of leads me into my first point, which is that Jesus seeks us. And not only that, but Jesus seeks us where we are. So are there any Seinfeld fans here tonight? There's like three of you. But... (laughs) I love sitcoms, and Seinfeld is like one of the best sitcoms to ever be created. So if you haven't watched it, you should check it out. But as I was looking at this passage, it reminded me of this one episode of Seinfeld. And in this episode, Jerry and Elaine, two of the main characters, are at a party. And Jerry sees this woman that he's, he's interested in. He wants to go talk to her, but he feels guilty because Jerry and Elaine had dated and they just broke up like right before this party. So he doesn't want to talk to a woman you know, this soon after they broke up right in front of her. So he doesn't go do talk to her, but he finds out one thing, and that's where she works. She works at this law firm um, nearby. So he comes up with this plan to go to her building and accidentally run into her. He's going to pretend to be there on an appointment to see someone else, but in reality, he just wants to talk to this woman. He wants to ask her out, wants to get her number. So it's an elaborate plan; it's you know well thought out. But to her, it just seems like a simple coincidence. And I I get this is a little bit creepy. I'm not saying that you should go, like, wait outside your crush's classroom just to, like, happen to talk to them. Like, respect people's boundaries. Don't be creepy. But I think it does paint a really beautiful picture of what Jesus does with us, how Jesus meets this woman and how Jesus meets us. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence. Verses three and four say He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. It says that he had to. It's interesting that we see the phrase had to here because if you know the geography of the time, you know it's Judea on the south, Galilee to the north, and Samaria is in the center. And so going through Samaria definitely is the quickest way. It's the quickest way to get to Galilee, but often devout Jews would go east around Samaria, um, straight to Galilee, because again, they thought that Samaritans were unclean, and it was worth going a longer, a longer route to avoid an interaction with these Samaritans. But Jesus says that he had to. Um, Jesus has options. So we see Jesus has options. Not Going through Samaria isn't his only options, but he says he had to. Why does he say that he has to go through Samaria? And we don't really see the answer in the text. You know, there could be multiple explanations why Jesus says that he had to, but maybe the answer is simple. Maybe Jesus says that he had to go through Samaria because he wanted to go there. He wanted to go through Samaria. You see, Jesus, Jesus doesn't have like a church office where he sits back and he waits for us to come and enter in and ask him questions and talk to him about, you know, what's this salvation that I keep hearing about? No, Jesus seeks his people where they are. He seeks you where you are. He knew there was a woman in Samaria in this specific town, at this specific well, at this specific hour, and he meets her there because Jesus doesn't wait for us to make the first move. Is In First John chapter 4, Verse ten, it says, "This is love, not because we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins." So, what does this mean for you tonight? It means that you sitting in these seats at large group tonight is no coincidence. It means if you happen to fi- find Ruf because you walked by on the way to class and you saw us tabling on Sprawl, that was that was no accident. If you first heard about Jesus through one of your roommates in a conversation, and maybe that's why you're here tonight, that wasn't just a simple coincidence. This is how Jesus loves us. Jesus moves towards us, meeting us wherever we are, often in ways that we don't expect. So this is how Jesus seeks us. He seeks us out where we are. Um, But what does it mean that Jesus sees us? You know, one thing I think we all... We all really like to control is how people see us, how we're perceived by others. We want to control how how people view us. And I think a really like obvious example of when we see this played out is in first dates. You know, there's like first date nerds where you like really want them to think you're cool. So you put on your coolest outfit that you feel like really captures who you are. You know, you're on the way in the car and you put on a Phoebe Bridger song right as you go to pick them up. So they know that you listen to really hip indie music, you know. Um, we want to control. And we want people to view us in a certain way. We all do this. We want people to view us as a smart person or a funny person or an athletic person, a reliable person, or a kind person. And I think one of the reasons we want to be viewed in a certain way is because we're often insecure and maybe a little ashamed of, of who we, we really are. we are. We're scared and nervous that if people really knew everything about us, really saw through and knew who we really were, then they wouldn't really love us so we slowly let them in and we this whole time we try to control the narrative we kind of try to control how they see us and i think this might be what this woman's doing with jesus you see jesus makes this really strange request he says go call your husband and the woman replies i have no husband and then jesus reveals what he already knows which is that this woman's had five husbands and the man that she's with now is not her husband and I think sometimes a lot of times you see people talk about this passage, they kind of jump to conclusions and they paint this woman as a promiscuous woman who's you know going from man to man. but we really don't see a lot of explanation in the text. we can't uh I think it's unfair to make these these judgments. I think we should take a more sensitive and sympathetic approach when looking at it and We aren't given the details of this woman's marriages we don't know we do know that women in this time are often mistreated so this woman could have been the victim of thoughtless divorces. Her husbands could have died tragically. We, we don't really know any info, uh, so we should focus on what we do know, what we can glean from the passage. And there's two things that I think we can kind of look at that give us a little bit of information about what this woman is going through. And the first thing is that this woman is currently with someone that's not her husband, which, again, we don't know if she's having an affair with a married man or if she's just living with a man who's who's unmarried, but we do know that either way this would have been shameful in her culture. So there's some shame there. And and another clue we're given is that she's at this well at the sixth hour, it says, which which is about noon. And this is a little bit odd because women would usually go to the well in the early mornings and the late evenings, because that's when it was cooler, to avoid the sun, to avoid the heat. So that she's there at noon is is a little bit odd and I think one of the possible reasons that she could have been there at that time was to avoid the other women, to avoid disapproving looks, because maybe she felt ashamed, maybe she felt insecure, maybe she felt like an outcast. Um, And when she tells Jesus that she has no husband, maybe she's trying to do what we all do. Maybe she's trying to hide the painful parts of her life because she's worried that if people really saw her for, for who she was, then they wouldn't accept her They wouldn't love her if they knew. So how does Jesus respond to this? Jesus says, I see you. He says, I see your pain. I see your brokenness. You know, Jesus isn't trying to shame her. He's not saying, I know what you've done. He's not saying, you know what, you go back, you break things off of that man, you get your life together, then you come back to me and then we we can talk. He's saying, I see your shame. I know you want to feel secure. I know you want to feel safe. I know you want to feel peace. And I also don't know that you don't really know how to achieve that. And what Jesus says is, he says, let me show you. Let me show you how to find peace. Let me show you how to find safety and security. My old campus minister at the University of Georgia had a helpful way, I think, of painting this. He would say, if we're all the way over here on this side, this is us in our sinfulness, our brokenness, our shame. And then all the way over here is Jesus. And this is salvation. This is holiness, righteousness. Jesus doesn't say, okay, if you meet me all the way over here, if you, you know, follow all my commandments, you be good you know, and live a good life and meet me there, then I'll, I'll let you in. No, and he doesn't say, you know, if you just try really hard, you try and clean up your life, you meet me halfway, then I'll come meet you halfway and then I'll walk with you through the finish line. What Jesus does is he, he condescends. He comes to our level. He meets us all the way where we are in our brokenness and our shame and our sin. And he says, I see you. I see you. I know Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ isn't waiting even for us to reach out our hand to him because he already has his hand and he's already reaching out to us. And this this kind of leads me into my last point, which we you know we see that Jesus seeks us where we are. He sees us in our vulnerable state and he sees our thirst. But he doesn't come empty-handed. You know, I I think we all thirst for something whether it's love or security, peace, comfort, Whatever it is, we all want something. And often when we look for these things, we're looking in in broken places. Jeremiah in chapter 2, the Lord is describing how His people had abandoned their God. And it says in verse 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, we want love, but we look in broken places. We look, we turn to relationships or hookup culture or maybe affirmation from our friends or our family. We want success, so we make getting good grades our idol or we make getting that internship our idol or we make getting that job our idol. We think maybe this time is the time that I'll finally feel loved or maybe this time is the time that I'll finally feel successful, and I won't have to keep chasing that next thing or that next thing or that next thing to find that security that we're looking for. But when these things are where we put our ultimate hope to finally quiet that nagging feeling that's deep in our soul that never seems to be quenched, we find that these pursuits turn out to be broken cisterns. No matter how fast we try to fill them with water, and no matter how fast we try and seek these things out to fill those Ultimately, they drain, and we're left still thirsty. This is a dark and troubling place to be. And maybe for some of you here tonight, this is where you find yourself. You've you've exhausted yourself trying to feel okay, trying to satisfy that thirst. You're tired of pretending you're not okay, because if you were to admit to yourself, you would know. Or you're tired of pretending that you're okay, because if you were to really admit to yourself, you'd know that you don't really feel okay. That's the good news that Jesus brings to us. Jesus says, I know you're not okay. He knows that you're thirsty. He says to the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And that's what he's saying to us. So if you're here tonight and you consider yourself a Christian, you've tasted of this living water, I think God calls us to share this water with the thirsty. He calls us to share this hope with the hopeless. You know there are people all around us, our friends, people close to us, our friends, our family, our roommates, our classmates. And just like us, just like us, they're all hurting. They're all thirsting for something to quench that deep existential longing in our soul, that deep thirst that we all feel. And you see the woman in the story, she doesn't have all the answers. She only just meets Jesus. But she does find hope in Jesus. And and we see later on, she goes back to her people and she says, Come, a man that told me, come see a man that told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You see, sharing the hope that you find in Christ doesn't mean that you have all the answers and that you know all the right words to say. You may still have questions yourself, you may still be struggling in ways yourself. but sometimes it's as simple as just inviting people to ask those same questions that you're asking yourself. Inviting people in just to consider the claims that Jesus makes that you have received hope from, that you've been struggling with, but you you think that there's something there. It doesn't mean you have it all together, but maybe it just means you invite people in to consider it for themselves. It could be as simple as inviting someone to large group or, or bringing a friend to church. It's just pointing thirsty people to the fountain of living water that is Jesus. And then it's trusting that Jesus is at the same time already seeking them and already seeing them and ultimately, hopefully, will, will satisfy them. And if you're here tonight and maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you don't feel satisfied, you still feel thirsty, or maybe you're here tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian, you have questions. First off, I want to say that I'm really glad that you're here. We we want RUF to be a place where you can come, whether you believe or don't believe, with any hard questions, any of these things that you're wrestling with. We want this to be a place where you can feel comfortable coming and not having it all together. Um, and I want to read you guys a quote. It's a bit of a long quote, but I think it's a good one. Out of Dane Ortlund's book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, it's a great book. and Yeah, it's a bit of a long quote, but, but bear with me here. He says... A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in, he has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He's independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation, but as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive that care, being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the diseased are not strangers, but his own family? So with us, and so with Christ. He doesn't get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed, pardoned, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Now, if if that's where you find yourself tonight, if you feel that distress and that need and that emptiness, Jesus says in verse 23, the Father is seeking such people Worship him. So come and drink and thirst no more. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the greater prophet. You don't just tell us what we need, but you provide all that we need. You see us in our vulnerable states, and you're always moving towards us to embrace us with open arms. So Lord, I pray that all of us here tonight, that we would drink of the fountain of living water. I pray that our thirst would be quenched by the great streams of your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't keep this hope to ourselves, but that you would be working through us to offer living water to those who are thirsty. Lord, I ask all this in your holy name. Amen.